0: All right, everybody, welcome to Simply Cyber Live. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier, And every Thursday, we are delivering high-value interviews with cybersecurity industry professionals for insights, expertise, and your professional development. Over the next hour, we are going to be speaking with Dr. Chase Cunningham about zero trust architecture. The man is the authority on the particular topic. He's also an authority on like many other topics, which we hopefully will have time to get into Uh, But we are going to be focusing on zero trust. And just as a little primer, uh, Dr. Chase is a retired Navy cryptologist. So he's definitely in the Navy for, you know, 20 plus years. Uh, He's got expertise in cyber forensics and analytical operations. He's worked with You know, pretty much the top uh, three letter agencies that you'd want to work with if you were in the cyberspace so NSA CIA FBI. Uh, He's a really uh, great guy and I can't wait to introduce you all to him and get his thoughts on all this. I want to thank you for being here live with us, you guys know the routine if you're regulars. Um, If you have a question drop it in chat with a capital Q at the beginning, so we know that it's for us and we will um, either flag it or we'll answer it right away. Uh, if you're watching on replay thanks so much definitely drop a comment in chat let us know you caught it on replay and whether or not uh you know you had any questions or anything we'll we'll definitely get into that so without further ado let's go get dr cunningham and have a good time all right dr
1: cunningham aka chase how are you today Hey, how are things? Hopefully, uh, hopefully, signals coming in clear. I am traveling right now. So I'm in a hotel, which is why there's a bear behind me over there. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah no, It seems very on brand. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's got a rustic vibe to it. So no, it's good. Um, so I gave a little primer in the intro. Um, but just so people kind of can set their mind to understand why they should be listening. Uh, to you around zero trust, among other things that you'll talk to. Can you give us a little bit of about your background and how you came to be a zero trust authority?
1: Well, uh, number one, I'd always say anybody that claims that they're an expert on anything probably is selling you a load of bunk. But I mean, for me, like I'm, I'm just deeply engaged in the space. I believe in strategy. I I think that we categorically try and solve problems. uh, A lot of times the wrong way we look at technology and not the reality of the problem. As far as ZT goes, um, I I saw, you know, in my own research when I was at Forrester that, the, that there was a, a strategic benefit there that could be applied and the fundamentals of what we were trying to remove to be better off in security space was trust relationships and it's not about mm-hmm. trusting, you know, it's not about trusting people to be good people that's a whole different story it's about, you know, the inherent trust we built in the system so. I just started really reading up on that, doing my research, publishing a bunch of stuff. I published some frameworks. I got lucky enough to work with people that are way smarter than me, um, and then we, you know, have just progressed it going forward from there. So it's it's just been um, kind of a fortuitous intersection of really great people that were kind enough to let me engage, and then you know, being able to uh, graft onto something and and you know, believe in it, and then just go forward. And if it if it if it's the right thing, it'll eventually work out.
0: Well, I, I think it definitely will. And it's definitely the direction we're going. I do want to say from a production issue, uh Chad is telling me that my mic is too low. I have bumped it up. So let me know in chat if you know the audio is is uh needs to be adjusted again. So Chase, I wanna I wanna bring this up to you. So um last year in May, officially, uh President Biden released an executive order around uh, basically improving cybersecurity, and then in January there was kind of a follow-up: this National Security Memorandum (NSM) eight. But one of the things that was like crystal clear in here, and hopefully you guys can see it in chat, was all of these callouts around zero trust architecture and implementing and integrating and moving the federal government to zero trust architecture. So much in fact that they said that you know the different organizations should have a plan. They it, this, this particular memorandum does not have the days. It says 180 days right here. Um, there were all sorts of days put in there. As far as the federal government moving to zero trust architecture, I have my own thoughts and concerns about that. But what are your thoughts around uh, A, the reality of that happening, B, um, the value from a defensive security posture it could bring uh, and C, any other kind of uh, thoughts just around this particular topic?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, without getting myself in trouble, because the government doesn't like to let people know things, let's just say that I was wink, wink, intimately involved in a lot of that uh, literature being put together and there's more stuff coming in probably September timeframe with a follow-up to this. Um, so that, you know, that's a very real thing that's going on there. The, the, the point of the, the real benefit of this whole deal is the government has finally had a mandate from on high from the president that literally says, go off and do this thing. And John Kindervog, who's a great friend of mine and the guy that kind of started this whole thing, says that the difference is we finally changed the incentive structure for people. We're not trying to beat them about the skull and say, don't get hacked and here's these penalties and whatever. It's really about like, look, there's a fundamental strategic shift that's going to occur. There are technologies that enable this. Here's the initiative and a real strategy can be modified for any organization based on a whole bunch of factors go forward and figure out how you're going to align to it and oh by the way there are certain time horizons on this thing so get after it and um in the federal space haven't worked at you know three letters for a long time until there's mandate from on high and there's line item budget stuff and there's directive that's pushing it forward nothing happens this is finally what will push this forward and the other thing to take away is this is the only space where the federal government is the leader, right? And we all follow the lead, the leader in the space around cyber because the federal government is engaged in cyber conflict 24 by 7, 365. So if you look at the history of the space, we gravitate to what Big Fed has been doing. So this will drive the rest of the market as well.
0: So as far you just said really quickly there that um, a strategic shift. Now, are you talking about just the structure are you talking about the approach to the actual technical control implementation of the zero trust
1: all of the above um really the whole the whole thing and it's it's starting which is the right thing now the right thing now is that it's starting with the leadership at the top saying okay if zt is the mandate zt strategy is available there's frameworks there's you know documentation there's history here how do we start selecting or leveraging or modifying our technology to enable that approach Instead of the old way, when it used to be, hey, if we buy enough crap and eventually we throw it into the mix correctly, sooner or later we'll be better. And that just doesn't work.
0: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I would agree. So one of the things that I, like the the second I saw this, the the two things that really jumped out to me were, well, there were three things. One was, um, uh, threat intelligence sharing, right? Which Jen Easterly over at CISA has been dominating since the, the executive order came out. So I'm going to put a check mark next to that. The next was zero trust and MFA across all of the federal government, um, with with legacy systems and the way that some of these other agencies are funded and and you know priorities for lack of a better term. Do you think it's pr- like it's practical? for this initiative this executive order to be implemented you know wholesale across the board or or, or what do you think those those challenges that some of those organizations are going to have to face how, how they're going to adjust address it
1: well i mean the challenge really is that that anytime you do something that's fundamentally different it's uncomfortable and it requires an investment from people to actually engage in it and then go forward so that and that's a very real thing i mean i i tell people all the time when my workshops Have you ever, uh, gone to the gym on January 2nd, right? There's all the people there January 2nd that this is the year that I get buff. I'm going to be a, you know, super fit and whatever else come back on January 30th. And what happens? You don't see them anymore, right? Because they, they've realized, um, it's uncomfortable. It sucks. I don't like this. And I have to do this all the time to continue to be successful. Then nobody, humans just don't want to do that. So. That's a a real requirement that has to happen here, but like I said, there's legislation and there's money to drive this forward, which is changing that. Now to your point about some of the things that are going to be put in place, like multi-factor authentication and threat intelligence sharing and whatever else, a lot of that is already there, and when you really look around, it just hasn't been put into a process and optimized, so that's what's occurring. And to your other point about the legacy stuff, there's stuff in the federal government that is as god is my witness still running punch card systems there's things that we just have to accept that we can't make next gen or super cool sexy new cyber we will have to kind of carve that off and change the way that we monitor and manage that but we can't save everything all the time and that that is actually good because we're proving that there are ways to get past it and move forward we're in the federal space as someone that's been in there for quite a while we're bad about trying to continue to feed a dying beast and there's a lot of those dying beasts that we need to just kind of go okay you've had your time we're moving on
0: yeah and i I agree that um putting band-aids on only goes so long before you have to totally rip it out and replace it um i do want to i do want to um shift for a second but uh i think kayla matthews asked in chat and i think that this is a great simple question uh just at level set can you define what zero trust is to you
1: yeah so um number one if you want that if you want a really good breakdown on that whole thing ping me online and i'll get you the national security technology advisory council paper where we documented what zero trust is and give you that actual. Right uh no that's, no that's eight hundred two zero seven. that's a really good document too but if you look up the nstac the national security technology advisory council there's a, a blurb in there about ZT. Here's the way I think about it. it. and I'm from Texas, right? I just say don't trust nothing. I mean, that's really what you're trying to get to um, remove trust from inside of those relationships, and that that can be applicable across a whole lot of things. So that's that's the the crux of it, if you will.
0: Okay, so it's not I, I can't find it right now, but that's okay. So it's it's not so much. Um, well, I guess let me ask you this you you're saying it's a it's a philosophy essentially of not trusting anything uh, Radity, essentially yeah. zero trust but but and, and this is not this is kind of a little bit of ignorance a little bit of naivety um which I'm hoping you're going to clarify when i look at how to achieve zero trust it seems it seems very much to be um least privileged you know access control um you, you know, like like basically, um network segmentation, if you need it that way to get to that level, it it honestly seems like it's just a rebranding of what the best practices have been for decades. so mm. is is it is it a marketing thing or is it a is it a is it a uh, a collection in order to say it is one thing in order to kind of promote it in industry? or am I way off base that it's not the same thing as these best practices?
1: So is it a marketing thing to say that there are vendors and organizations that are jumping on the bandwagon and trying to rebrand their already sold shenanigans as ZT? Um, no. So there's, there's the reality of that. Um, as far as taking best practices and rebranding it, the best practices are best practices for a reason. It's because we know unequivocally that those things make it different. The difference is when we're talking about Zeep's things within best practices, holistically, strategically, over time, across environment. Instead of saying, I'm going to have best practices for IAM, I'm, I'm going to have best practices for firewall, I'm going to have best practices for this. And what you wind up with is a bunch of best practice silos where nothing interoperates and nothing scales.
0: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, or it's like you're only really good at whatever your staff is currently really good at, like whatever, like whatever skill set you have on your staff. So we we did talk about NIST SP 80207, which I have pulled up here, uh, and I'm a huge advocate of NIST. If if you've been following the channel for a while, yeah, I love it. In fact, I'm actually making some shirts that look like the I Heart New York, except it says I Heart NIST. I'm nice. working on that right now. Um, but for this NIST SP 8 8- Eight hundred two hundred seven. 207. Um do you were you an author? Hold on, I, I probably could look at it. I don't see your name as an author. I wasn't, I wasn't
1: an author, but I did provide input to the drafting. Yeah.
0: So is this um is this document more of an explanation on what zero trust is, or could practitioners leverage this document in order to, you know, kind of achieve zero trust or move towards zero trust?
1: Yeah, so this is this is what I would call a, a foundational art, art, architectural design piece that you should be looking at if you're trying to get to ZT. And the reason I say that is NIST did a really good job of breaking down the components that are needed. They talk about the policy engine, they talk about enforcement, they talk about which things go where. What you should really be looking at and getting from S- SB 800-207 is, This is a big overarching uh, reference architecture and sort of broad stroke application of this concept into reality. Now I can take this and modify it for my own organization and do those things to make this where you're going to get bigger, better, faster or which things apply to you. And here's here's something that no vendor will tell you that I'll tell you. Not everything needs to be in your zero trust architecture environment. There's things that you do and don't need. There's things that you should and shouldn't defend. And there's this whole concept around contested space that actually are very applicable. Vendors will tell you you need everything all the time because they're trying to sell you a bunch of stuff. Um, Those of us that are real about the strategy and the practical application understand there's better ways to do this without buying everything all the time.
0: That's interesting. So you just said something that kind of challenges something that I've, I guess, just taken as an assumption. I've always thought of zero trust architecture is a philosophical approach to um, to, you know, protecting, defending, detecting, you know, the the whole thing um, of your entire environment. It sounded like you just said zero trust architecture is almost like an enclave where you could treat it like you could have silos outside of the zero trust architecture. Space of control is is that is that accurate
1: uh it's not not it's not inaccurate really what I'm trying to say is that your zero trust strategy should be applicable across the entirety of your um, infrastructure and your business now mm-hmm. what I'm saying though is in the context of that depending on what you do and what's valuable to your business, there may be things that I accept are going to be outside the bounds of my long-term zero trust approach. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for instance, if I'm a, a business that manufactures something and my business makes all of its money and does its best things because of some proprietary algorithm we use for welding and all my IoT devices do the welds, That's really the focus and crux of my ZT side of things. Am I concerned about a Cisco voice over IP phone in uh, my HR offices, you know, down in wherever? No, not really. I'll get to that later. So the the point is to focus your efforts with where the most value is for your business and then work your way from there.
0: All right. Yes. Okay. I totally understand. Again, I think as we're talking about it, I'm thinking like I've made assumptions like Zero trust architecture means multi-factor authentication on anything accessible from the internet. So that that is a enterprise-wide application. But but I do agree with you what you're saying about identifying your your you know essentially your your crown jewels and and protecting around that and then working out uh, just for sake of priority resources time all, all those things. I and mean, that's the uh,
1: you know in the in the military we always had the phrase um, if everything is a priority nothing is and I think people forget that.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. A couple of questions rolling in here. I just want to drop them to you. Uh, Mr. Ben asks, is, is the push going to affect small and medium businesses as well? I think the push to move to zero trust. Uh, his company's working with clients to use MFA, but still sees a pushback from some of the smaller companies. Interesting
1: yeah you're gonna see this moving downstream and the reason for that is if you look also at the sort of recent history of compromise the adversaries have started moving downstream because that's the low-hanging fruit and they're looking for those connections that have access to other uh, larger organizations so you know you can even go back and look at cmmc and the other requirements coming from big entities the other organizations that are out there are going to be affected by this zero trust movement and they should start figuring out how to leverage it now the good thing is small and mid-sized businesses actually can do ZT quicker, better, faster than an enterprise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is one of the benefits of being uh, a bit more nimble and agile. Uh, And I would agree with you a hundred percent. We have seen um, really over the last three years, with supply chain being much more in focus and getting explicit uh, consideration. We saw in NIST cybersecurity framework, actually, the the second version of it had a whole supply chain control family added to it. So um, you're, you're 100% spot on that the supply chain and these downstream entities are going to become in scope. And, and I would argue that fortunately, it sucks that they're pushing back, Mr. Ben, but um, a lot of small businesses are leveraging um, cloud services, software as a service, and you get like you get MFA because of, of what they're doing unless you're running on some 2008 R2 server that doesn't integrate with Azure MFA. but, but, but anyways, it, it's, it's, a, it's becoming more mainstream. So hopefully you're seeing less of that. Uh, Daniel actually had a comment too for you. Do you believe any organization has fully implemented zero trust across the entirety of the infrastructure in the business?
1: Here's the one that I'll tell you that's probably done it close to the best at the scale that most people would consider to be significant is Google. Um, it, Google got got their ass handed to them with Op a few years ago, right? And they basically had to go off and change how they're doing things. So they moved to this model. They call it BeyondCorp. Now they've started to finally call it ZT. but really what they did was they moved to a zero trust model they put everything out there where it's supposed to be they reconfigured if you're a google employee you have certain controls on your machines they mod they mandate certain stuff whatever and tell me the last time you saw google with a compromise in the news right so and if you think about the scale that's there google has done this pretty well now are they perfect no are they better than most yeah um and have they continued to engage in that and just work through it? yeah, and that's what you're trying to do.
0: That's pretty impressive. like you know, like you said before, it's easier when you're a small business to to migrate to zero trust like Google is a fortune 2 company <laughs> you know like that's not that's not easy um to pull off so way to go they Google. do it for all their
1: contractors, they do it for all their third parties like they're, they've um, they've drank as much of the Kool-Aid as anybody could drink.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what, it just goes to show, I, I say this all the time on the morning threat briefing that I do. You'll never see a company invest more heavily into InfoSec or, or cyber, whatever you want to call it, except right after they got a breach, right? Like right after a breach, it's open checkbook, open season, hire a new CISO, hire a team, buy whatever appliance, on, let's do it um so i guess opera uh was a seminal event for them
1: (laughs) yeah and you know what's funny too is people had this uh fear of um of a breach being actually bad for the company statistically speaking a breach is better for stock value over time than not so
0: yeah yeah you definitely uh there's a lot of case study you can go back i feel i feel like it's typically like three months before it recovers and then like nine months, it's gone up in, the, in value. So Yeah, crazy. Yeah. So um, another question I had for you, you know, when we, this is getting really into the weeds though. Like when we talk zero trust, it's all of these different controls. Um, MFA, I feel like is a pretty easy one to implement because there's tons of solutions and and people have done it. And there's a lot of kind of literature on it. But least privilege is, is one control that I find like fine in a textbook but really difficult in reality because and just for people in chat who are who are not familiar with with this it's it's basically given someone the amount of access that they need to do their job the problem is in reality i get hired and i'm working directly with chase they just say hey, give them the same access Chase has, but Chase has been here for 20 years and worked in six different departments. And now I have all that access and no one really goes back and reviews access appropriately because no one complains when they still have access. They only complain when they do not have access. So is so from a least privileged perspective and really, really trying, like I wanna go all in on zero trust. Like how do I solve that least privilege uh, tr- conundrum?
1: Yeah, the biggest thing, well, there's two sides of it. So the biggest thing on the the human user side is to make sure that you have a really good understanding of work roles and what people are doing for the purposes of enabling something in that business. Just like you said, if Chase um, has admin privileges because Chase has been here for 20 years, is Chase an admin? Does he use those things? Is someone, you know, is he, is he doing admin work? If not, remove them. And if Chase gets pissed about it, tough, Chase, that's not your job, right? So mm-hmm. that's number one. The other piece is, really look at the applications that are being used and make sure that the applications actually have privilege management and have uh excessive access controls applied to them as well because people forget like ransomware shouldn't even be a problem if it wasn't for windows invoking powershell all over the place right so if, (laughs) if you can just like stop powerpoint from invoking powershell you've eliminated a major threat of ransomware and that that's like something that people really mix they'll they'll get the the user role-based access control stuff down, but they forget about the applications.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And and you know, you just said something that um, really resonates with me. You said, you know, if if Chase doesn't like it, Chase can uh, you know suck an egg or whatever, or just deal with it. it. It's so important. It's so like I'm a GRC guy, Chase. Like I came up GRC. I I talk GRC all the time. Um, and people were like, oh, GRC, get out of here with your clipboard nerd but like tone at the top and setting policy and and having management committed and bought into it is the only way that you can tell chase that you're taking their admin access away and it's okay because if you don't have that support you're going to get you're going to get pushback or they're going to call in a political favor and then it's it's a hot mess on fire and it's it's not good so yeah
1: I mean, I I think um, another phrase that I think people should kind of live by my personal two two cents here is you deserve what you tolerate, and that's in every facet of life, right? So if if you're tolerating people griping and moaning that they should have admin access, you deserve it when you get ripped and someone has admin access and they smash you to pieces. So what will you tolerate?
0: Right, yeah, and wh- what will you actually tolerate versus what do you think you'll tolerate? Because a lot of people will be like, "Oh, I-, I have zero tolerance for risk," and it's like, really? Because uh, uh, you have a lot of to- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, just case in point, Alec points out uh, was at a big trading bank in an internal wiki that had everybody's user ID and passwords. <laughs> Jesus, so true, so true. Oof. Yeah, so, that would be yeah. Fun. <laughs> So so let me let me uh pivot a little bit here, Chase, and ask you. So for I just said that, you know, I kind of came up GRC. I've done some blue stuff. Um, as far as, you know, someone who's gonna help an organization do zero trust, what is what's the kind of role? I mean, it sounds more like an engineer role, but is it where are you coming from to be someone who's gonna be the zero trust engineer or architect or anything?
1: Um, you know, I think really if you're trying to find like a ZT person, you probably already have somebody in your organization that could do that. I, I have yet to run into, and I do these workshops with people all over the world. I have yet to run into an organization that was lacking with technology or people willing to dig the ditches and do the work in the trenches that mattered. It's always like you said earlier, it's boiled down to a leadership at the top of the food chain saying This is our strategy. This is what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to lay things out and beginning to march that thing forward and saying, I will drag you kicking and screaming towards success um, because this is the right way to go about solving the problem. So it's, um, you know, pick somebody. You need someone that will lead this thing. But once they're tasked with leading it, that needs to be, uh, they need to be empowered to do so.
0: And do you think do you think that, you know, you had mentioned earlier that that executive order from Biden is going to cause quite a, uh, a shift in what is considered conventional norms, uh, do, do, is this kind of referring to what you're talking about where you're getting that push that it's going to this is happening and we're going now
1: yeah i mean the, the fact that you see the the freight train rolling and you've got people that can finally say you know you can take a breath and finally go oh thank god there's there's from on high like literally the highest office in the country this individual says this is what we need to do and we need to start going it gives you the gravitas to help push that forward
0: so if you if you were an organization or someone's you know in chat and they're like oh like this sounds pretty smart like i should you know, bring zero trust uh, to, to the business. How how difficult or how realistic, or what are some of the challenges with an organization that's traditional today, you know, maybe it has cloud services and stuff or hybrid, uh, moving to a true zero trust architecture, right? Because I know Google did it, but Google has, you know, a lot of money and some of the best talent in the country, well, in the world, frankly. So, you know, they might be atypical. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no. I and what I advise people all the time, the first thing that you do is you do an actual red team, and I mean a full-on red team op, and why would you do that? Well, if your purpose in security is to defend the enterprise, you can't game the system and do some kind of Mickey Mouse pen test and GRC it, no offense, Gerald, and then say that you're good to go because you checked the box and you ran a scan on an IP address. Run a real red team, let them go at you like the adversary would go, see what they find. And then call that your baseline for, okay, this is where we know that there's immediate gaps that would cause a compromise. Let's start working on from those going forward. And what you will find is going to be the stuff that you thought was not really an issue and that you could get to it later. That's what they're going to use to cause those compromises. And it's the difference between having a real understanding of the reality of your current posture to guessing and thinking that you've got a good understanding of it. Because a red team, a bad guy, whatever you want to call it, they'll find things and use things that you thought were not consequential. And that that's where your are weakest. So I say folks start there. And then from there, use kind of the historical approach of what uh, what causes compromises and apply controls there. I mean, and, and it doesn't necessarily always have to be like beat you to death, hardcore red team, even though I think that that's a great way. Do a red team slash blue team, purple team thing. Um, something along the lines of, at least be realistic about it and start with an op that you know that there's going to be an outcome that you can plan around
0: well i i do agree that a red team op uh, is definitely going to uncover the true uh gaps in your organization because compliance is fine but no one really implements anything consistently 100 percent across all systems and processes um but just from a You know, like, like, so when I go into, uh, businesses and I've only, I've only had like the SISO rule twice, but like when they go in, I'm going to build a program or I'm going to take the existing one and, and and fix it. But to me, before I even start looking at three-year roadmaps and doing all this other stuff, it's like, to me, there's like absolute must have controls in place. Multi-factor, for example, is one of those. Like, I don't, I don't need to do a baseline assessment. I don't need to do anything we need to get MFA in place now because it's just too much of a risk with zero trust architecture. Is there anything that's like, like, so you said, do the red team up, but I mean, is there anything that's like, okay guys, like I'm here day one, like, let's just, we'll schedule the red team for three months from now, but we got to get this done now. Like what, what is this in that, in that scenario?
1: I mean, for me, the first thing I want to know is where's the data that's of most value for the business, right? What do we make our money off of? What is our super cool formula for Coca-Cola, whatever you want to call it, whatever that IP is that we are responsible for and that would ding us the most. I want to know where that is and I want to know what isolation is around it. And that includes things like you're talking about access management, firewalls, segmentation, isolation, those things, visibility. And I want to start from there. So let's call that our, uh, our Alamo, right. Even though things didn't work out well for the guys and gals in the Alamo, but let's just say that that's our Alamo and Ben McGeegan working our way forward from there. And if you, if you, if to your point, if you don't have that and you can't get that answer, that's a pretty unequivocal, uh, statement that we don't really know what we're defending anyway.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. I, I, I I really do like MFA. I've kind of like I guess I was really under the impression. I'm a huge fan of MFA.
1: I agree with you. MFA should be everywhere. But just from experience, um, the issue that I do run into is you could MFA everything, and you still, if you don't know where the actual core of it is and what you're defending and the value proposition within that, you're going to have a hard time continuing to justify what you're doing and why you're doing it as you put new things into place.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess as you ask for budget and as you add friction to processes, that'll that definitely becomes a problem. Um, what, what about um, situations where the crown jewels, especially with like manufacturing companies, the crown jewels are on legacy tech, you know, or OT, which you're not going to get MFA. What is your uh, recommendation for achieving zero trust in those kind of environments?
1: So I've got a really good one for this. So I did a workshop with the Library of Congress, and this is un- unclassified. So the Library of Congress still has category systems that actually take care of books and patents and things like that, that run off of punch card systems. And they're still running right now today in 2022.
0: Now the question... Segment it
1: off and leave it, like that's where it is. So, really that's all you can do and you accept that's why i say there's also this thing about contested space you have to kind of leave that there and accept that that's a risk and then apply better visibility hopefully to stay ahead of the curve so you know just like you're saying there's also points where you're going to have to accept the risk and kind of the inherent value that is there but it, it you have to deal with it
0: yeah i mean i always use windows xp embedded as my um as my, you know, use case. Oh, we know like B,
1: that's that's high tech compared to this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, seriously, I, I never really thought, I mean, I feel like almost like your your threat model is is a better situation with punch cards because no one has the, you, you almost need physical access. And then B, you have to have the knowledge to know what to do with it unless you're just going to try to destroy it. Um, But yeah, that's that's going back a ways, man. Like, w- like when you walked into that, were you like, excuse me, what?
1: oh <laughs> well unfortunately uh they they brought me on the project and then they said yeah this is our first problem to solve and i was like oh if i would have known that I, i'm not taking this project
0: <laughs> seriously oh my god that's that is that's something else dude wow um okay um one of the other things i want and i see all your uh your comments in chat if you have any questions for uh, Chase, definitely drop them in chat around Zero Trust. I did want to uh, pivot just for a second to make sure that we got to it. We can come back to Zero Trust if it makes sense. But um, a lot of people may not know this, but Chase is actually the author. I know you can't really see it here on a um, a, 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 a text, if you will, or book on cyber warfare, truth, tactics, and strategies, which Chase, I don't know if you know this, but right now, on humble bundle you can get your book for one dollar and yeah. my book like this is my book this is your book so the the timeliness of us doing this talk is is hilarious oh, uh, maybe cool. we could get Dil- dylan barker from malware analyst techniques to come on stream with us and, and uh represent but a- anyways the point is that chase wrote a book um on cyber warfare which if you want i'll drop a link in chat for the humble bundle you can buy both our books for a buck we'll each get 30 cents um so so uh as far as cyber warfare goes the book is called truth tactics and strategies i i was i really wanted to ask you i know what tactics are i know what strategies are when it says cyber warfare truth what are you referring to there
1: well, I, I did a lot of uh, historical research when I wrote that book, and kind of crawled through um, the warfare sort of methodologies and strategies that were that were so applicable to for victory. Right, the way that organizations won or lost based on actual conflict. And the point that I was trying to make there on the truth side is, cyberspace is is a conflict zone. Um, it's digital battlefield, whatever you want to call it. And if you if you operate in that space any way other than with the mindset of It's an inherently dangerous environment. Everyone is on the same battlefield and at any one moment, some stray round could take you out. You're doing yourself a disservice. So I wanted people to understand that that's, that's the reality of the space. It's not about being afraid. I'm not afraid, but I am aware that I operate in an inherently dangerous environment and I need to do things that are going to make me successful. And the last thing that I I thought was a value there was to let folks understand in reality. This is not ever uh, rising tide lifts all ships. This is survival. This is my business, my person, my whatever stays ahead of the zombie horde. If you choose to not accept that reality and you choose to ignore the practices, like you were talking about the best practices, and you fall behind, I will let you get eaten by the zombies. Like, sorry about your luck, homie.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Especially if you're not holding your own, like pulling your own weight, right? I mean, the, when you're dealing with protecting and, and really protecting from ad, like active adversaries, uh, you have to be vigilant. And that actually just as a quick aside, that's one thing that um, a lot of people don't realize about cybersecurity. And I always warn them when they say they want to work in our industry, it's like you're signing up for like constant vigilance. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not a, a part-time gig. Um, so but with cyber war i I don't know if you want to talk about this we didn't discuss this in advance so if you if you prefer not to i'm totally cool with that um one thing with the recent you know war conflict use whatever word you want to use between russia and ukraine i i I was convinced dude i was in the boat uh, firmly in the boat of okay the next major geopolitical conflict it's going to be cyber, everything, like very little kinetic force. Um, And we saw like an opening salvo by both parties at the beginning, but it's been primarily traditional kinetic warfare, uh soldiers on ground, you know, munitions, uh, armor. And then, you know, w- the only interesting thing to me was the crowdsourcing of basically volunteers for this Ukrainian IT army, and then Russia kind of did the same thing. Um, But that's not even close to how I envision this happening. So what are your thoughts about what your perception was pre-February 2022 and today regarding this cyber warfare?
1: Well, I I mean, I think um, the biggest thing to take away is that, and I said this a long time ago, um, that cyber warfare is the bridge between espionage and kinetic combat. And that's what we saw, right? So you've seen espionage going on for a long time. You've seen... Russia poking and prodding around kind of putting their, you know, games in place and doing what they could to build um, financial resources, et cetera, whatever else. And then they went and said, okay, we've done enough espionage. Let's launch some stuff and see what works and where we can cause degradation of services, et cetera. Cool. Some work, some didn't big deal. Okay. Now that's enough of that. Let's start putting lead on foreheads and then comes the invasion. Right. And that, that was basically what we should probably primarily expect. Now the, the tangent on that, is that what you'll see in future conflicts is that that bridge time between espionage and kinetic combat is going to get exponentially longer and it will continue to step up and step up and step up. So this was kind of a, I would call it lukewarm cyber conflict thingy. This stuff that you'll see in the future is not going to be so lukewarm.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I suspected that, um, I guess my my naive, again, I didn't serve in the military, Chase. I know you did for a long time. Um, but so my naive, you know, ignorant uh, observation was that um, Russia may have had a, an idea of how long this conflict was going to take. So it it didn't really it didn't matter to just shoot your shot and then and then go in with uh, soldiers because it was going to be a, a, like Crimea 2.0. Uh, and it ended up not being that way. So so maybe it would have been a longer cyber uh, conflict prior to the Kinetic piece. Uh, if, Russia, if,
1: yeah, if they would have been a little bit more, if they wouldn't have been quite so uh, bold about the way they thought their forces would just steamroll things, if I was in the general for the Russian forces, I would have spent 18 months, two years of just hardcore focused cyber operations to really degrade the ability for the Ukrainians to defend themselves. But Russia, to their own detriment, figured, we're Russia. We got lots of tanks and we got lots of bullets. Let's just go rolling and we'll, you know, crush them and call it a day. Um, the Ukrainians, man, they don't play. Um, so they're learning, you know, pretty quickly that this was not going to be an easy, easy op.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, one other question about cyber warfare. Um, cause chat, chat's pretty quiet right now, which means that I don't know if they're, they're digging on this topic, but I, I am. So I'll give one more question on, on cyber warfare. So one of the things that we're just seeing, even in today's news, is that NSO group, um, they make this Pegasus software and they make other kind of cyber weapons um, and they're selling them all over the place. And they're getting kind of caught with their hand in the cookie jar. Cyber weapons are you don't need an army. You don't need to be a first world power, or have you know huge GDP in order to have one of these weapons. Um, and we're seeing some of these other countries like Iran, uh, India, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, start to do uh, kind of first world nation-state threat APT type type stuff. Do you think with just the 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 interesting kind of format of what the munition is, for lack of a better term, in a cyber war capability, that there will be more players on the on the global board, if you will, uh, for these type of conflicts? Even even the kind of like just fire and forget, not knowing whether it'll work.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, really what you're seeing is the commoditization of cyber uh, warfare capabilities. So everybody, anywhere—I mean, me sitting here in the hotel right now—I could launch a you know attack that could technically be categorized as a cyber conflict um, against somebody. So we've we've leveled the playing field. I mean, there's a reason why a nation like North Korea, that literally can't feed its people, can still manage to cause uh, conflict on an organization like Sony. I mean that that's what we're we're dealing with. Now, as we continue to become more connected in our businesses and our lives are more dependent on digital space, the uh, the growth of uh, the outcome there gets even more significant. So it's you know, it's again, I don't ever want anybody to ever be afraid, but they should be aware that this is where things are going and what's gonna happen. Um, and it's also in, in reality not necessarily a totally bad thing if you have digital conflict, because that means human lives are not being lost at the scale they would be in an actual combat situation.
0: A mm-hmm. uh, f- final question, and Greg- Gregory Jones ex- asked a question here about why don't we just hit him with Stuxnet. I'll kind of, um, I'm not sure who he means by them uh, saying that, but but one thing, I, I, I'll kind of make this a broader question. You know, you said 18 to 24 months of kind of espionage, uh, Flying under the radar, doing Intel, kind of knocking out critical infrastructure and stuff like that. Um, when you say the next cyber conflict, do are, do you think it will be focused on more, um, you know, kind of cr- traditional IT infrastructure, the way that we saw kind of Russia knock out different government agencies? Or do you think it'll be heavily focused on ICS and, and kind of energy and power and stuff like that?
1: Nope. It's actually going to happen around the midterms in the next presidential election where you're going to see China and Russia and these other organizations are going to try and cause massive influence operations and they're going to make us question the reality um, of this, of what we're going on. Psychological operations and warfare is actually mm-hmm. probably infinitely more valuable than trying to do actual engagement. So you know, watch as things pick up around the midterms in the next election and um, you're going to see influence operations exponentially increase. And the, the thing that's really rough about that, right, is I can put controls in place that would stop an exploit from being successful. I can't fix people from not buying whatever crap is shoved down their throat. And that's going to be way more concerning. And you throw in things like deep fakes and social media and some of those, all of a sudden it gets really nasty really fast.
0: I Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, like. You know it's so funny. I don't even think of the psyops meddling with elections as cyber warfare. Like in my mind, I'm think I think of warfare as kind of like just a, a an evolution of the kind of the kinetic warfare of active of active conflict. But you're 100 right. Psyops is gross, and we saw that in the 2016 election done with amazing efficacy. Um, and I put I brought up Cambridge Analytica, Chase. I don't know if you're familiar. There is a Netflix documentary called uh, the not the social, it's called The Great Hack. It's about about Cambridge Analytica. Oh, you've seen it? Yeah, so uh, very, very interesting the way that they kind of built up their program first in Trinidad, Tobago, and then Brexit, and then um, the United States 2016 presidential election. So, um, yeah, very, very interesting. And we're coming right up on midterms here in a few months. So I will be very interested in in continuing to watch... um, you know t- to see if this comes true uh hopefully not but you know we'll we'll see real real yeah, quickly i
1: mean yeah. real quickly you got somebody named carrie out there that says they got ignored you're not being ignored if you want to talk hit me up personally or whatever i saw your question about zt um we're just trying to move fast so no one's being ignored i will personally help you out and chat with you about zt anytime
0: yeah i was yeah. going to go back to carrie's question i just we'll go back to zt i just had a couple cyber warfare questions no we can
1: day i just don't want somebody to be like chase is a jerk and ignored me like i'm not ignoring you
0: no 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 jerry's the jerk i'm facilitating (laughs) the questions here so don't take any uh guests are never jerks on simply cyber just me me and my audio problems are 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 an issue so well i mean let's let's flip it then real quick here so carrie asks chase how how do i go in and learn about zero trust he's he bought he has this book um and i guess he got your cyber warfare book so um
1: no, I mean, well, number one, I mean, this, you know, number one, just uh, two cents from from an old guy. Like, never say you're nobody, right? You're somebody, you know, you're, you're kick ass and take names. So that's number one. Number two, if you're trying to learn about ZT, there's tons of published material. I would say the first thing to go look at is the National Security Technology Advisory Council report on zero trust. And then the second thing I would do is go read through NIST 800 and start there.
0: Okay, Yeah. Is there any is, is the eight hundred two hundred seven approachable?
1: Yeah, the good thing is um, NIST NIST did a good job of making it where it's pretty digestible. I mean, obviously there's some intricacies in there that if you're not deep in the space, maybe a little bit um, you know far down the rabbit hole for you. But the good thing is. There's a whole community that's out there that'll work to help you understand this stuff. I, I I'm the admin on a uh, ZT working group on LinkedIn. If you want to join, let me know. I'll add people to it. I've got 600 members now. I've got my own newsletter. Like, trust me, the, the the information you need to understand ZT is available.
0: Oh, that's awesome. What what is what's something about ZT that people get wrong or or just grossly misunderstand?
1: I mean, I think number one is that number one is that it's a technology that you can buy zero trust. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, and the vendors are, be, yeah. you know, the vendors are doing that, uh, throwing it out there all the time because they found a nice hot button to dig at. But really, um, the other misconception is that zero trust is, uh, is one thing. I mean, this is strategy, this is long term, it requires a focus, uh, you know, effort, etc, those types of things. So you know just just understand that um and anyone says that they'll sell you a zt solution yeah mm,
0: well I, I hold on I, it's it's tough to see here but like i googled zero trust vendors and this is you? a list of the 15 best right so crowdstrike sells zero trust cisco sells zero trust. <laughs> how come my intelligent edge yeah i i, I agree 100 percent that it is not a rack and stack appliance that you, you, you know, you stroke a check and you're done. Which I be mean,
1: perfectly fair, there's some vendors that have very good solutions and platforms that are well aligned to enable zero trust. Period, point blank, end of story, absolutely. However, just understand that there, uh, that there's not a, there's no Sauron, there's no one ring to rule them all that is turn this thing on, all of them thou art ZT.
0: Yeah. And I think that this actually highlights, uh, so this is, a whatever, like a hot take that I have, I'm curious on your, uh, your perspective on it. So in my experience, you know, the information security office via the CISO interfaces with the business, the business doesn't care about, uh, technology. It doesn't care about whatever the business cares about making money. So business leaders typically they would, they love to stroke a check. Right, like if you can get budget, they'll love to stroke a check because in their mind, they're just buying the solution and, and moving forward. Solution, And if they hear that they need to move to zero trust or whatever, they're, they're excited to do it. It's difficult when you're saying we need to hire, you know, we need to hire two staff members. We need to, you know, introduce some policy to change that nobody, like we can't have our engineers remote accessing into the environment like anymore. This has to stop. And that's not a, a check you can stroke and it becomes very difficult to move the business in that direction unless you just had a hack. Uh, what, what do you, what's your experience in dealing with that from, from the business side?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, that's, that's uh, pretty common for business side, right? They're always looking for what can I get? How do I fix this fastest? What will be the thing that I buy? Like you said, that, that all of a sudden chick chok chain and I'm on and I go about my day and that's just not how this is going to work. Um, I mean the very nature of technology means that someone will be able to reverse it and use it for purposes outside of the bounds of which it was constructed for so um it it, it, you know i think that that's where the leadership component of this comes in and making sure that if you're going to be running this thing that you are uh well-armed well-educated and well-versed in the the methods and madness that you need to bring to bear to get this across the finish line and you know um, a lot of it too i think is also being able to say and i I tell people this in my workshops all the time um, if we're going to look at buying a new solution actually part of my requirements in my workshops are if we're going to buy a new solution i need you to tell me what else we're getting rid of and why don't come to me and ask don't come to me and ask me for another iam solution if you don't tell me which one's better and which IAM i can get rid of
0: yeah, unless there's a gap, right? I mean, does it ever happen where they're trying to buy something to fill a gap? If
1: there's a gap. Usually, I will. My my position is okay. That's an identified gap. We don't have a solution for it right now. That's actually a good thing. Let's get to that at the end of this cycle, rather than right now in the middle of it.
0: Yeah, I like that. So, so you mentioned a couple times already that you run workshops. Is this through your Ericom? uh gig or is this through like a private thing and and, and, and i guess ultimately i want to know what are the workshops and who are they for
1: so i do a whole bunch of different stuff for different purposes um i actually do a lot of pro bono work with small businesses and organizations that can't afford to have a big time high power security consultant come in and help them figure out how to do these things i've done it for battered women's shelters i've done it for homeless centers i've done it for libraries like those types of organizations so that's one side of it and the other piece is I do have my own LLC, and I do do a lot of advisory and consulting work with folks that are trying to work how to sell zero trust ethically, and then organizations that are trying to employ zero trust for their business. And And I, I sit in there and just kind of act as a, uh, a guide, counsel, advisor, whatever you want to call it, to help them push that stuff. And most of the time for the businesses that are trying to engage in ZT for themselves, they're looking for somebody to come in and kind of go, okay, this makes sense. We're not being asked to do another thing in security space so you're you know i kind of operate there as that uh, independent third party you know uh, as far as the value proposition
0: mm-hmm. is there any is there any um like shortcoming of zero trust right cuz it's cuz like whenever you're going to do something or, or adopt some uh, approach or philosophy there's usually pros and cons right like i love nist cybersecurity framework but it's not perfect um yeah. With zero trust, is there a particular um, shortcoming of it or something that is like, if it's going to get breached in some capacity or compromised, it'll probably be this?
1: Well, I think the, the real shortcoming is that people understand very quickly that this is going to require um, a concerted effort over time. And it's it's difficult to sell uh, a long-term solution to people that are looking for an immediate fix. And, you know, that's, <laughs> that's going to be something that you have to work your way through. And the, the other thing too, that I, that I have to remind people of is, and this is exactly what you're saying, where I've had CEOs and boards go, well, when we get to ZT, we're good. We'll never be breached. I'm like, no, you'll, you'll still have breaches. You'll still have compromise. And they say, well, why the hell are we doing the ZT thing? It's like, that's the assumed breach. That's a part of ZT. It's will we be able to deal with it, respond to it and move on past it quicker
0: yeah I, I i'm trying to get the shirts made up i i like you don't know this chase but i say it all the time on simply cyber like i am on a mission it, it will never succeed but it's not cybersecurity that we're doing anymore we're doing cyber resiliency it, it doesn't have as much sex and and it doesn't roll off the tongue as well but we are cyber resiliency experts we're like we're helping organizations continue to execute the mission despite compromise despite breach despite stubbing your toe right yeah, I, like to, yeah. to secure something is to is to protect it and that's not i mean you know what i mean
1: i mean oh yeah i tell people all the time um like you know it, I, it doesn't if you're like if you're the four-time world crossfit champion does that mean you're never gonna die no <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah
1: it's true, You're probably true. healthier than most people and you probably could do more things longer and you'll probably have a better life as far as quality of life, but eventually the reaper comes, man. So it is what it is. Yep. There's inevitabilities in life, deal with it.
0: That's an interesting way to explain it to the board too, right? Cause like no one can dispute it or or, or push back. There's no rebuttal to death. Yet. I mean,
1: you know, tell me I'm wrong cause to my knowledge, that's pretty applicable.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. So we're we've only got a couple minutes left. So if you do have any questions, drop them in chat, and we'll see if we can get to them before the end. But Chase, I wanted to ask you: Are there any uh, like projects or initiatives that you're working on that you'd like you know people to know about, or may, they, maybe they can get involved or support in some capacity?
1: yeah i mean if you're interested hit me up on linkedin and i'll uh try and get you added into the zt working group as much space as we have um i think it's worth it to check out the newsletter that's on um on on my stuff as well because it's unbiased I don't take vendor money for it i just read articles and post what's there and then the other thing is uh keep your head you know on a swivel because you're going to see more zt things coming from leadership positions in the next three months i can't say exactly what those are but uh you'll see them and it's going to be game changer.
0: That's interesting. So you're saying like open Rex asking for ZT skill, ZT KSAs basically. More
1: legislation, more more mandates from on high, all those things, yeah.
0: Interesting, so let's dig into that for a second. Guys, I've put Chase's LinkedIn right here. I dropped a link in chat right over there. So join with him, (laughs) Join uh, connect with Chase. Um, I love the fact that your newsletter isn't, vendor endorsed or, you know, sponsored. Um, I'll definitely get on that. Just also really quick. Um, Chase does have a YouTube channel since many of you are watching on YouTube, uh, just head on over there and give him a checkout. He's got some fun stuff. I saw this one where he like, <laughs> blew up a watermelon. Yeah. Um, so here I'll drop a link to Chase's uh, YouTube channel as well over there, but real quick. So you just said, Hey, look out. There could be some Rex. Uh, In the near term on ZT so so like what is something actionable that you know the, the 50 people who are joining us today could do between now and three months from now that would be a skill that could go on the resume or or be useful for zero trust alignment
1: yeah so uh number one i go back to those two documents i would definitely go read through the nist 800 207 i would go read through the national security technology advisory council on zt Um, the other thing is if you go look uh, i actually just published a course with uh simulate psi emulate however you say it on zt that's out there it's free it's open available to anybody i think and then the last piece is if you're looking to get a certification forrester research has a zero trust certification you can get and i helped author that so um you know, I think that there's tons of material out there that would be useful to you. And if you're trying to stand out from the crowd, those would be things to have on your resume, in my opinion.
0: Holy crap. That was like a lot of things, uh, real quick. So you said simulate, uh, I know Simulate. Want, they've actually,
1: emulate? yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. They've come on the show a couple times, actually. I've worked with them, so I'm very familiar with them. Uh, I've actually used their product in my environment. It's a good product. Um, you said, I guess what I want to do is be able to provide a link to people to this right now. Um, is there an easy way to, to get to it? Do you know, or is it behind uh, a wall? I, oh,
1: I don't think there's anything in front of the SciEmulate course. I I provided them the content and they told me it was going to be free to the public. So I would uh, maybe look at SciEmulate, look for Zero Trust, I think, or maybe look for my big, ugly head, one of
0: the two. <laughs> Well, I almost wonder if um, I mean I do have a I do have a login for the platform, so it wouldn't be hard. But I'm just kind of curious, really quick here. Resources, academy. This could be it. Yeah, here
1: the academy piece. Uh,
0: let's see. Oh, there he is, there yeah. dude. This this picture. This picture is everywhere. Is it like? Are is this part of your OPSEC? Because of like th- this doesn't look like you, and it's everywhere. Whoa. Yeah, um, that's all.
1: That's also why my LinkedIn profile says I live in Texas. I don't live in Texas. I'm from Texas, but I don't live there now.
0: Okay, I got to get better OPSEC myself. I'm terrible <laughs> at this. Hey, I'm <laughs> dropping a link in uh, chat right now for Chase's uh, Zero Trust K- course. And then what's the other thing you said with Forrester? Like Forrester? Yeah, if you go to
1: Forrester Research and look up their Zero Trust certification, I don't know how much that thing costs. It's Forrester, so I'm sure it's not cheap, but it's it's a good course. Yeah, I'm pulling it up. I think it's called ZTX certification or something like that.
0: ZTX?
1: I, th- I Don't quote me on that. I think it just if you look up Forrester Research and just look for Zero Trust certification, I think it's there.
0: Okay. Yeah, here it is. Zero Trust Extended, getting, that's, getting their talent on a new, uh, there you are. That's on, my friend. On a new, uh, yeah. So guys, if you're interested in, I mean, Chase, I, I said it at the intro, he's literally like one of the leading experts in our, you know, industry on zero trust. And he's saying that there's going to be probably a lot of, uh, quals coming out in the near term, uh, asking for zero trust. So if you're looking to break into the industry or pivot within the industry, maybe you don't want to work in a sock anymore. This right here this could be useful to you along with that simulate Academy that I dropped a link for
1: the the only other one I'll throw out there is if you go to hypercube, H Y P E R Q U B dot IO. Um, I'm going to be authoring some virtual labs on there for ZT. Um, and uh, you know, that'll be available to people as well. So you'll actually be able to go in and look at ZT configurations in a real virtual system.
0: Yeah, actually I'm glad you reminded me about that. Um, I, I had a call with this guy too. Um, and like, we, I, really nice guy, smart guy. I actually played with this platform. I'm glad you brought this up because I, I actually forgot about this platform. I It's just too much going on, but- um, Yeah, no, I'm,
1: I'm literally uh, in the middle of building out of uh, a small business environment in there to go off and do some ZT work in. So that stuff's gonna get published in there and people can go play with the actual infrastructure.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I, so it's not available yet, right?
1: No, give me another month.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, you could see I was in here playing with, with a lab, like building a blueprint lab myself. So um, cool. Yeah, guys, I'll drop a link to this too in chat. Chase just dropping so much knowledge bombs and value uh, right on the way out the door. Yeah, I live
1: uh, to serve. That's why I tell my kids.
0: <laughs> I love it, dude. I love it. All right, so we're we're just about at time. Uh, I want to thank, um, hold on real quick. Carrie did ask one quick question. I said, get your questions in. He wants to know if computer networking skills, uh, that he's sharpened it up, does that work with zero trust?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, that's one reason why I'm trying to put these virtual laboratories together, so that you can go in there and actually change stuff up and see what the difference looks like between a ZT environment and non-ZT environment. And the, the good thing is, uh, you know, anybody that tells you they have all the answers, they're wrong, I, I Google stuff all the time. Like, you know, you'll find somebody smarter than you, so just ask the question.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's another like, uh, real truth. Uh, You know, you and I have been doing this for a long time, have a lot of formal education. And I I personally can say that I only know a sliver of what's going on in the whole space. So yeah, uh, stay humble. Uh, real quick, just from a production perspective, Sonia asked, how does she get access to all the that we're posting? Sonia, I see you're on LinkedIn. Come over to Simply Cyber's YouTube channel, and you'll see all the chat there with all the links, and you'll be able to click on it. So just go over to YouTube, and it's uh, Simply Cyber. You can see the link in the top right on the banner card, like way at the top on the header. Um, also, Chase, I don't know about if you know about this, but Professor Black Ops said that AWS actually has a ton of ZTA uh labs on the free tier that you can take advantage of i think that certainly would be uh marketable um i feel like our industry right now it's like less about higher ed and more about practical skill application you know all right so that's gonna do it chase any final thoughts before uh we say goodbye to everybody and uh and thank you for your time today
1: well, number one, thanks for having me on here. Number two, um, you know, understand ZT is a, a strategy and a, an approach and it's not a product. And then number three, if I can help anybody with anything, ZT or otherwise, please connect with me. Because, uh, you know, I, I, I joke about saying live to serve, but um, I, I believe my purpose on this planet is to help others. So if I can, I will.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. And definitely, chat, take advantage of that. Uh, Chase, I've been working with him for probably six months now on and off and uh, just a wonderful guy. And he's like, this is legit. What he's saying is legit. Uh, I hope you guys got value out of this. Uh, that does it for, you know, this week's episode of Simply CyberWive. I wanna give a special thanks to Chase Cunningham for all the knowledge and value and, and and your time. I mean, you're traveling and you made time for us. Really appreciate that. If you yeah, enjoyed the interview- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, your, your hunting lodge uh, there. Uh, on the ranch um if you enjoyed the interview uh give us subscribe to simply cyber to make sure you, that you get made aware of all the great uh thursday night guest interviews that we do just like tonight with chase uh we do also if you don't know you're new here every morning at 8 a.m we do a live daily threat briefing uh to give you the knowledge to be able to go forward and kick butt all day at work or if you're trying to break in the industry I guarantee you, you're gonna get asked, how do you stay current on cybersecurity? And like, that's a great way to answer the question. Uh, So yeah, we'll see you tomorrow at 8 a.m. Chase, thanks so much. It was great having you today.
1: Thanks so much, God bless.
0: All right, cheers everybody.